Welcome back to the Clayton Castle Podcast. I am so honored and excited to have this next guest on the podcast. I have been trying to get him on since August. Uh, I think that's when I first reached out to him, but our schedules have just never, never coincided uh, to be able to get it done. But we have finally been able to figure out a time to sit down. He is the conductor of the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra and the conductor of the Hilton Head Symphony Orchestra. I am so excited to talk to and be joined by maestro John Morris Russell. John, thank you for joining me. Uh, thanks so much, Clayton. It's a great pleasure to be here. I'm glad that that we worked this all out. And uh, you know, I I like to hang out with music lovers, and and you're you're you've been a big pops fan for a a long time. So so this is really cool. You know, yeah, I've been a big pops fan since gosh forever. When I was in the May Festival Youth Chorus. Uh, performed in the um, the summer Riverbend concerts with Eric Kunzel. And then obviously, and I actually performed in your, well, not officially your first concert as Pops Conductor, but the first concert that you conducted after you were announced. So in December of 2011, I remember it was Holiday Pops with, oh, De- yeah. with Debbie Boone. Right. Um, and, and, and you were singing in the chorus? I was saying, actually, that concert featured both the May Festival Youth Chorus and the Walnut Hill Senior Ensemble. Right. And I was actually in both of those those groups. So, right. <laughs> um, but no, and I've I've loved your work since then, since you took over, and I have been just pumped and excited to be able to talk to you. Um, so let's start at the beginning. You're an Ohio native from Northeast Ohio. Uh, you were involved, right. involved as a kid in theater and in music. What kind of developed that love for music and the arts? Well, uh, I grew up in Cleveland, just uh, on the east side of Cleveland in Shaker Heights, and uh, was was blessed to be in a fantastic public school system. And I am always like to be able to say I'm a proud product of the public schools. Um, it was in elementary school, at Ludlow Elementary School there in Shaker Heights, uh, where Janet Blakely, she was a music teacher. And I mean, Ludlow Elementary School had its own music teacher. I mean, that's all she did in this elementary school was to teach music grades one through six. And in fourth grade, it was the time that everyone had to pick an instrument. And so literally she went up and down the rows and the kids in the classroom and said, and what instrument will you play? And what instrument will you play? And um, uh, so, you know, I, I, chose cornet because my brother had just started playing the trombone and he had it he, he started on cornet and so there was just a cornet sitting around the house so it was just like oh okay here I'll, I'll do this and uh if you didn't have an instrument she'd go into the band room and find one and there in elementary school we had a full orchestra i mean violas cellos bass woodwinds i mean the whole the whole shooting match this is elementary school right you know we're we're all in you know fourth fifth grade you know playing the saint go marching in right you know i i, yeah. I remember my, my my trumpet part i was playing third trumpet Anyway, uh, but, you know, from elementary school, went on to uh, junior high and in junior high, there, there was everything, you know, there's orchestra, band, uh, there's this thing that it was, it was this new experimental music uh, in junior high school. It was called the Jazz Laboratory Band. Ooh. I know. It, it, they Early on, they were always called Jazz Lab Band or Jazz Laboratory Band because it was an experiment. We didn't know if, you know, if teaching jazz to children would uh, create you know, a whole generation of pot smoking yahoos or, or whether all of a sudden the kids would become uncontrollable or less disciplined or something if they were studying jazz. So it's like a laboratory, you know, you know, we, we can stop this experiment anytime you want if things go south. So, uh, 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 but I was a complete and utter geek. So I was involved with that and, you know, all the other, you know, orchestra band, the whole nine yards. And that's when I, we first started hanging out in the band room after, um, after school, because that was like, you know, it was our it was our safe place. We used to grab, you know, whatever instruments we had. And, you know, there's uh, Larry Badler would play on drum kit and, and you know, I'd be playing trumpet or euphonium. And our Reef Ali, he was playing trombone. We had another guy on sax and we just like, you know, just jam on blues chords or whatever. 
And then in high school, of course, it was just even more. Uh, and that's, um, uh, you know, I was in the, uh, the marching band, the pep band, the school musical, both spring and fall productions. And I was very involved in theater as well. And, um, uh, and if that wasn't enough, uh, we also had a garage band, right? <laughs> we, we played, and, and this was back in the, in the, uh, back, you know, like in the, in, in the fifties, you know, where everyone was reliving the fifties, you know, it was after, this is way before your time, man. But uh, there was a TV show called Happy Days, and it was oh, all yeah. about, you know, growing up in the 50s. And, of course, you know, we're, we're in the mid to late 70s, and it was just like kind of looking back, you know, like at all these old fuddy-duddies. Um, but it was cool, kind of like all, all these kids with Neo Soul now. It's just like, yeah, kids, you know, Neo Soul is, is pretty cool. But I lived it. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, and so we started off doing 50s stuff because uh, in a in a in a garage band, 50s stuff is so easy to learn because it's all blues progression. You know, they're all based on the exact same chord progression. So once you learn that, you know, you can basically play whatever. But then our, uh, the second half, we would do these double sets. And the second half was all uh, funk and soul. So it was like um, uh, uh, Chicago, Earth, Wind and Fire, the Commodores, um, uh, Funkadelic. <laughs> Man, we had fun. And if that wasn't enough, I grew up in Cleveland, right? So, right. so Cleveland Orchestra is just, you know, a 15 minute drive away. So, you know, we'd go to Cleveland Orchestra concerts all the time. And I guess that's kind of has informed my own ethos because it's, uh, 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 as, as a kid growing up, there, there weren't any walls between musical styles. It was just like music, right. you know, it's like, wow. They're going to play a Beethoven symphony at, at Severance Hall, you know, with Cleveland Orchestra. It's just like, wow, that's great. Uh, and then, you know, and then would would play a gig on Saturday night and, you know, be be playing Parliament. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. <laughs> so, you know, you talk a lot about the arts education that you got in the public school system. Um, you also went to Williams College and USC. You studied at music institutes in London, Cleveland, Aspen. What, why is education so important to an aspiring musician, especially that much education that you received? Uh, yeah, because there's a lot to it, right? Um, you know, because, well, you know, let's go back to that uh, Byron Junior High School band room. You know, you, you figured, you know, once you figured out like the blues progression and how it works and, you know, how, how to like solo on top of that, it's like you, you've unlocked Pandora's box and you, you believe, Oh, I know, I now know everything <laughs> that is to be known. But then, it, the, you know, it, the more you start to learn, the more you find out that you don't really know Jack. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I think that's the whole thing. It's, it's, it's you know, to, to keep you moving forward, to keep you listening in new places, to keep you curious. And, you know, it, and, and that goes beyond just, you know, uh, a, an education or a, a degree. Um, uh, that, that's an everyday life, uh, to stay curious, to always keep your ears open and your eyes open and your heart open to see and hear what else is out there. And it, it really, I, I, let's see, I had this uh, epiphany. It was uh, when I was studying in London um, my junior year in college. And I, we, we really started to do some heavy analysis of like, uh, uh, Baroque music in particular. And, and London's a fantastic place to be as a music lover, because there are like five symphony orchestras mm -hmm. and in, in the city, five resident symphony orchestras, and they're all fantastic. And they're really, really good. And, uh, uh, British, um, uh, musicians are these just ridiculous sight readers. And so as opposed to uh, an orchestral concert uh, or orchestral traditions here in the United States, where you'll have, you know, four, sometimes five rehearsals for a single concert. Um, in London, maybe you'd have two. Wow. Uh, and oftentimes just one because the players are just such monster readers. And it's just kind of the tradition there. And there's a certain freshness to it. But this is all about to say that um, uh, where we were, I was at King's College London, which is right across from Royal Festival Hall from the Thames. And so we'd go over there like, and just like crash on rehearsals because every day there'd be a rehearsal for a different concert. And so, you know, dimes to donuts, some piece that I'm studying in school, uh, at King's College, 
would be performed or that composer or the composer of that piece would be performed, you know, within that week because there's just so much music going on. And so, you know, you get to, you know, you get to, uh, uh, you know, try out the egg from right beneath the hen. Um, and so just listening to all these different types of musical styles. And so the whole point was I had my epiphany because <laughs> I started listening to so much music right. uh, and relating it to all the popular music that I grew up with. And it was like, wow, you know, Bach and, and the music of the Baroque was just like exactly what people are doing in bebop in, in, in the 1940s and 50s. Um, you know, you just have all of these, these, these fast changing harmonies and, and weaving together all these different textures and even just the makeup of, of, a, of, a, of a jazz uh, uh, ensemble um, is so similar to a Baroque. Right. You, you have in, in the Baroque period, they had the basso continuo, which is basically your 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 bass and your harpsichord. And the bass is just kind of playing the bass line and the harpsichord is feeling out the harmonies. I mean, it's exactly what it is in, in a jazz band where, where where the bass is kind of laying down the the, the, the basic rhythm and the roots, uh, the root structure for for the chords and, and the and the piano is kind of filling in the harmonies and, and doing some decorative work. And then, you know, like in the Brock. Brandenburg concertos, you know, you have these soloists that are kind of weaving these counterpuntal lines around each other. And it's just like, it's exactly like a jazz, you know, a trio or quartet or quintet. Uh, and then you get into the classical era and all of a sudden the harmonic rhythm just, just absolutely, someone slams on the brake. And, and, you know, in, instead of having chords, you know, a different chord change for like every single note, um, you have... Uh, these people are stretching things out. You know, Mozart will will have a one chord and it'll stretch out for, you know, several bars. Kind of like Miles Davis, who was just taking the harmonic rhythm, just stretching it out <laughs> and, you know, kind of taking it easy within there. And so when I started to relate jazz history with classical music history, you know, it, you know, it, it was it was a great epiphany. Hey, it's all cut from the same cloth. <laughs> all right. So all this education, when did the you know, you played instruments throughout schooling and all that. When did that itch or that love or that passion for wanting to lead an orchestra to conduct, when did that happen? Well, I, I had always, um, well, you know, uh, uh, when I would go to Cleveland Orchestra concerts, I'd always get student seats. And the student seats um, were, were either like way up in the nosebleed, but those actually went very, very quickly. Um, but the seats that, that usually I could get at the very last minute were like the front row. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so there I'd be in the front row and you're, you know, nine times a 10 right in the middle, you know, just staring up to, you know, the conductor. Yep. And, and I, um, uh, Colin Davis, uh, he was doing like Symphony of Psalms or something. I, I think it was Symphony of Psalms of, of Stravinsky. And man, he was having a ball. <laughs> he was just having so much fun. He's dancing around and it's just like, dang, you know, that looks that that looks fantastic. I wish I could do that. Anyway, I I didn't really think about conducting seriously until it was kind of um, in the beginning of college, and I started having some problems with my trumpet playing. Uh, I had been trying to do my Maynard Ferguson imitations too much, and and kind of had some uh, uh, serious uh, muscular problems in, in my face caused by all that pressure buildup in you know for for trumpet. And I uh, went to the doctor and the doctor said, no more trumpet for you, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, and so uh, I, you know, uh, I, I really wanted to be involved in music somehow. And, and um, it was a buddy of mine had suggested, you know, because I, I was really into uh, analysis, you know, figuring out how pieces work and, you know, structure and all the rest. And, you know, um, uh, and it's kind of like, well, that's kind of what conductors do. You know, you figure out how the thing is built and uh, uh, then try to, to uh, you know, you get the blueprint and then you try to recreate it there in three dimensions uh, in real time. And so it was like, oh, okay, yeah, well, I'll give this a shot. And so that's what I did in London. Uh, took a year and, and that's when I first took my, my very first conducting lessons. And I found it, 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 it came pretty quickly uh, because when I was playing in brass ensemble or I was playing in the garage band, you know, you'd count it off. Right. And then everyone just comes in or, uh, with a brass ensemble, you just kind of breathe in and, you know, and play and everyone comes in on time. And so, uh, uh I found that perhaps one of the, the most important unspoken 
um, foundational elements of conducting is breathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you know, if 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 you're breathing in and kind of kind of uh, uh, singing, not not vocally, but but singing with your body, having your body kind of breathe and and uh, um, uh, conjoined with a musical line, uh, that kind of shows the musicians kind of what they have to do. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about some of those early conducting jobs that you had. I think I, in my research, I read that you started in Akron actually in public schools in the Akron was, I believe it was the youth symphony orchestra. Yeah. Well, I actually, it, um, uh, after immediately after college, uh, I, I, you know, I kind of wanted to, to, get a job as a conductor, but of course, getting a job as a conductor is, is impossible <laughs> if you have no experience. And it was just like, you know, uh, um, it's a real conundrum, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, so it was like whatever experience I could get. And, you know, I, I thought I wanted to go to graduate school, but I didn't really want to go to graduate school until I figured out like I could actually do this. Um, and so uh, I started off, I, I was pouring coffee at a coffee shop just to, just to pay the rent. Uh, and then I got a job as a as a substitute teacher, a music substitute teacher. I could get my substitute teaching certificate because I had enough classwork in at, at at college that I could kind of check all the boxes. Right. And the thing is, is is that all, all the music teachers in Greater Cleveland, uh, uh, they they don't like to get sick because they know. I mean, there's such pressure. You have to get so much done in your rehearsals to put on a really great spring concert or whatever. Uh, and you know that if you do get sick, that you're going to get a substitute and, you know, all the kids are going to be sitting around, you know, in a study hall doing nothing. Right. So as soon as, as soon as people found out that, that there's a guy who would, who would be your substitute, who would actually keep the kids working, you know, in music, it was like, man, I was, I was getting calls like every other day, you know, four 30 in the morning. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to show up at, uh, you know, Boulevard Elementary School uh, for their flute choir, or the next day it would be at the junior high school with the with with the with the with the marching band, or the next day you know with the orchestra you know across town. And um, as a very young conductor, it was awesome experience because uh, you, you know I mean there are very few, if any, textbooks about. How, how, you know, I mean, there are textbooks that tell, will tell you, you know, what beat patterns to do and, and right. maybe, you know, how, how to approach, you know, score study. But I mean, in, in the physical process of just like being up there leading a bunch of kids or musicians or whatever, um, uh, there's not much written about that. So you just have to do it. So, you know, I'd go into that flute choir and, at, at elementary school uh, and, you know, try to motivate, motivate the kids in a certain way. Uh, and boy, you know, and, you know, completely, completely fail, (laughs) you know, lose control of the situation and, you know, pull my hair out and then just say, okay, bye-bye. Uh, and then, you know, kind of brush myself off and figure out, okay, well, maybe, maybe I I should have been a little bit more of a disciplinarian there, or maybe I shouldn't have been so as much of a disciplinarian. Maybe I should have. And so then the next, you know, the next day you get a call to, to go wherever, and you try something different. You know, you try to approach a, 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 a problem or, or a, um, you know, a certain musical issue. You know, you try to just approach it in a completely different way. And then the kids would respond and it would be like, oh, I got to remember that. And so over the process of a couple of years of doing this, you know, you start to figure out how the whole thing works. And then from there, uh, I got a job. Uh, I, I also had a couple of jobs uh, uh, with the uh, church choirs, mm. church choirs. That's a fantastic yeah. way to get started where you'd have, um, you know, and I started very small, the Maple Heights Presbyterian church choir. <laughs> it was made up of six old ladies and a prima donna. <laughs> and I tell you, if, if, if you don't learn politics in a church choir, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll never learn it. Uh, you know, you kind of figure out how, how are you going to motivate these people to sing with less vibrato? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of words can you use? What sort of encouragement can you use? Um, uh, and then what happened was, is that after a few months, you know, you, your results start to get a little better and then you get a few more people involved because they see that, that, that you've got like a winning ensemble. Right. And so we got a few more guys and we got, you know, other women and some younger people. And uh, within a year, uh, I 
conducted the, uh, we, we put together for, for Christmas time, we did the Christmas portion of the Messiah and, Ooh. you know, asked the, asked the minister if, if we could get a little extra money uh, so I could hire like a string quintet Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of a couple of wind players and organ, and we did the, the the Christmas portion of the Messiah, and everyone was just like, "This is fantastic!" Right. And so you know, right afterwards, they said, "Well, look, maybe around Easter time, maybe you know, like Holy Week or something, we could do like the Faré Requiem. You know, we could do a little mini version of that." So we got a, you know got a few more singers there involved and all the rest, and did that, and that was a oh, wow. that was a big success. So, you know, you kind of build on these things, you know, one after the next and everything's kind of a learning experience. And I think if, if there's one thing that I, I probably learned uh, from that whole early time was, you know, yes is a much better word than no. Right. <laughs> you know, you encourage every, you know, you, you figure out what, what group you've got and you figure out how to encourage them and empower them to make them feel good about themselves so they'll want to do better. Right. Uh, and, you know, by, by, by saying a lot of no, it, it's not quite there, but by saying yes, yes, you're doing better. Yes, you can do this. Yes, that's almost it. Let's try it again. And yes, let's, you know, yes is a very important word. Right. <laughs> you no. Know? So, um, uh, so after a few years of that, I got my first gig in um, my, my first like, like real paid conducting gig at the Northern Ohio Youth Orchestra in Oberlin, wow. which was a small youth orchestra there and, you know, beautiful little Oberlin, uh, lovely conservatory of music. And it was a very, very fine youth orchestra. And uh, within a year of that, the position came open with the Akron Youth Symphony. And so I, I joined up and started conducting the Akron Youth Symphony. And then the Mansfield Youth Orchestra in Mansfield, Ohio, opened up. And so there was a time there that I was like the king of youth orchestras <laughs> in Northeastern Ohio. And, you know, I just like up and down I-71, you know, between Mansfield, Akron, over to Oberlin. Right. And um, so a- after doing this, um, uh, you know, teaching, doing some uh, uh, youth orchestras, of course, and, and doing some church choirs, um, you know, I, I kind of figured it was it was after um, five years that I figured, OK, I, I, I think I've got the stuff to do this. I'm going to go get my graduate degree. And that's when I went to uh, University of Southern California. You know, I love that story about the church choirs because there are some serious church choirs here, even here in town. I actually grew up. Oh my up, goodness, very serious, right? I, I grew up at, in Knox Presbyterian Church over in, in Hyde Park. And, you know, we did the Knox Music Series um, twice a year and under the direction of Dr. Earl Rivers, who is still yeah, there, who yeah. is still there today. Yeah. Um, my mom and my grandpa- my grandparents and my even my brother have sang the Messiah at Knox. Um, so I, I just love that story about your experience in church choirs. Well, and, and you know what, this is what, what's, what's great about Cincinnati is, is that there's so much great music be- making mm-hmm. being made everywhere. Right. You know, yep. I mean, you know, I, you know, the, 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 the symphony, the pops may festival, you know, it's, it's the cherry on top of Sunday, but there's so, there's yeah. so much great music making everywhere in the city. And, and this is why, why, you know, everyone says, you know, what, what's the great success of the Cincinnati symphony, you know, and, um, uh, you know, amongst the symphony orchestras of, of North America. And I say, well, it's, 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 it's as much the symphony as it is just a, a group mm-hmm. of really passionate music lovers here in Cincinnati who support it and, yep. uh, and um, who kind of create this atmosphere where we can thrive. Exactly. You know, it's nice when you can get the big stars here, like the Adina Menzels, the Brian Stokes Mitchell, but, um, you know, you have so much talent here in town that even the pops and the symphony use to this day. You have the Cincinnati, oh, yeah. the Cincinnati Youth Choir, uh, Chorus, the formerly known as the Cincinnati Children's Choir, the oh, May yeah. Festival, the May Festival Youth Chorus. Um, and you have big acts that are also from Cincinnati over the Rhine, you, right. the conference that you had well, this past and, weekend. And, and then also in the public schools, you know, SCPA, yep. Walnut Hills. And there, there's so many great school music programs out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and you know what, uh, 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 kind of back to the whole education thing, you know, um, you know, the, the importance of music education, um, it, it's not really to create great musicians because, you know, the, in the world, there, there are relatively few performing, uh, 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 positions, you know, for, for performing artists, there are not that many of them. Right. Um, uh, however, uh, but music teaches uh, uh, these other things, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if you get if you get ninety percent on a on on your algebra test, you're going to get an A. But that still means that you got ten percent wrong. If you go into a, a, a chorus 
and uh, each individual singer in the chorus gets 10% of their notes wrong, you have utter cacophony, <laughs> right? You know, they might get 90% of their notes right, but if you got 10% yeah. wrong and everyone else has 10% of the notes wrong, it's, it's just like, uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and, and in music, you start at 100%. Right. 100% is, is, is the bare minimum. And so it, it teaches people to work together. It teaches the value of 100% of, of complete and utter uh, uh, connection and um, uh, uh, devotion to a single cause. And these are things that we need in our society. And, and we need them for our teachers. We need them for our engineers, for our doctors, um, for our businessmen and women. Uh, uh, we need them for our politicians. Mm -hmm. Bam. Yep. I said it. <laughs> and you actually hit on one of my questions about the importance of music education. So perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Now to go back to Cincinnati, this is not your, the, your current gig as the pops conductor is actually not your first gig in Cincinnati. You were the associate conductor for both the symphony and the pops at one time. What was that experience like? And what was it like to learn from some of the greatest musical minds um, of our generation? For instance, Eric Kunzel. Uh, that was a fantastic experience. So it was about 11 years between 95 and 2006. Um, and especially, you know, you're, you're coming in, uh, I came in as assistant and then uh, the, the following year I was uh, made it, uh, associate conductor, but you were working with everyone in the organization. Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, you, you've got someone like Eric Hunzel, who's a legend, but you know what? You also had, you know, Mary Judge, who was a legendary music librarian and, you know, these incredible administrators and amazing musicians in the orchestra. Um, and um, so I was learning from everyone, and especially as the associate, you got your hands in everything from, you know, designing programs, coming up with copy for, for, for advertisements, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, dealing with education, right? Uh, uh, working with kids, uh, dealing with the, with, with the sound and, and the lighting, um, uh, you know, um, uh, auditioning. I, I was involved in, in, in all of the auditions uh, for new players in the orchestra. And um, you, you know, it, it was that time that I figured out how an orchestra works and how an orchestra really interfaces with a community. And uh, certainly, um, uh, Eric Kunzel was a, was a big influence in, in, in his programming, especially, and how uh, he, he kind of learned and, and knew so, so very well uh, his Cincinnati people, you know, the, the, the people who love um, uh, the, the, the pop genre and, and knew how to craft things um, for, for, for those people to, to really engage them. And, uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, when, when I went off, uh, in 2000, well, in 2001, I started working also at the Windsor Symphony Orchestra in Windsor, right. Ontario, which was, um, uh, and, and you know, I mean, w Windsor is a, is a blue collar. It is a tough industrial Northern industrial town, just right over the uh, river from, from Detroit. Um, uh, big immigrant population. Um, it, uh, it's not the prettiest place on earth, but boy, the people are amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was an orchestra that was somewhat disconnected from, from, from the rest of, of the city. And so I took pages out of the Eric Kunzel playbook, like one after the next, you know, to develop my relationship with, um, uh, the musical relationship right. in Windsor to bring people together. And, uh, you know, where, whereas, uh, Eric would, uh, present the, um, what the, the Donna Schwaben choir. It was, uh, it was like the German Austrian choir, you know, to celebrate all of Cincinnati's German heritage. And, you know, uh, in Windsor, you know, I, I, I find this choir, the Chorale de Trisonnaire, which is the, um, the, 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 the French speakers who, uh, who settled Windsor 300 years ago. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I developed an arrangement for, with, with all of these people who were continuing on these great French traditions, you right. know, would create this choral festival of, of all of these old French songs that have been passed down from one generation. And, and, and then suddenly the orchestra is playing the music of the people. I mean, this is, you know, the, the, the music that, that, that created, you know, this, this, uh, uh, the, the ethos of the region. And so Eric was really sharp at being able to find ways to make music relevant, to make it engaging, uh, and to, and to reach out to everybody. But you talked a little bit about your experience with the Windsor Symphony Orchestra in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the musical culture in Canada and how it 
compares and contrasts the musical culture in not just the United States, but just in Cincinnati in particular? Yeah. Um, well, actually, this is the thing. Any any time I, I I'm 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 working with an orchestra more than just you know the occasional guest conducting gig, I'm always trying to find out what makes that region or that city tick. You know mm -hmm. what what sort of musical heritage is there? Um, and when I was in Windsor, uh, it's it's just interesting. Uh, they pride themselves very much, uh, and for good reason, for their history in broadcast radio. Hmm. And there's a radio station there called CKLW. Uh, CKLW, the Motor City. Uh, we didn't get, we didn't hear CKLW down here in Cincinnati, but as a kid growing up in Cleveland, I would hear the radio station all the time right. because um, uh, Canadian radio stations, because Canada is such a humongous country. And people are are spread out just very very wide widely, you know, in, throughout this you know huge um, uh, nation. Uh, they they used to be granted a much higher wattage for their radio stations than in the United States, which is much more compact. And so the folks in Motown Records figured this out, and so they would have all of their stuff broadcast on CKLW. Mm -hmm. And so there are still some of the old timers used to work there for the radio station. It's not just talk radio, but in the day, I mean, you know, the, the, the guys who worked at CKLW, you know, they'd say, Oh, look, there's Stevie wonder. Hey, Stevie, how are you doing? <laughs> you know? And, and they're, Oh, Aretha. Hey, Hey, uh, you know, uh, do you, can you give me that glazed ham recipe? Yeah. Okay. We'll see you next week. You know, I, I, everyone, Jackson five, Temptations, I'm smoky. Everyone went to Windsor. Windsor, Ontario was like, because of CKLW, the radio station, was where Motown hung out. And that's where the music was promulgated around the world. Because for those who don't know, Windsor is right across the river from Detroit, Michigan, Motown. Right over the river. And and back in those days, you know, uh, uh, you'd go over the border and, you know, you just kind of like, wave to the to to the um, immigration officers because <laughs> no one really gave a hoot i mean it was uh, the the border was was practically liquid i mean mm -hmm. everyone would just go back and forth i mean it's it's kind of a uh, a really really sad state of affairs now where where that border has become our border where the world's two most friendliest uh, uh, neighborly countries has somehow become calcified anyway <laughs> uh uh but also uh, the great music traditions um, uh, in Windsor, also to the French culture, as I was talking mm -hmm. about before. Uh, and there's so many songs that, that are that are unique to, to that region. But also there's another composer there, Shelton Brooks, and his parents had settled in Amherstburg, which is right, right near Windsor. Um, and uh, uh, Amherstburg, as well as many other towns around, were settled by escaped slaves, by um, uh, people who were enslaved in the United States and found freedom in Canada. And Shelton Brooks uh, grew up his uh, uh, grew up there in um, in Amherstburg, and he 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 was working the pedals of, of his his father had a church, and so his his mother played the organ, and he would press the pedals of the organ, uh, and so he was part of this um, uh, really uh, dynamic uh, black community uh, there in Windsor. And he wrote this thing called the Strutter's Ball when he was in his mid twenties. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Strutter's Ball is is pretty much everyone considers it the first piece of popular jazz. It took jazz yep. from being like that other music to making it mainstream. And so when I was in Windsor, it was like I am going to tell the stories, the great musical stories that happened here. Uh, and. Uh, and I think this is really important for 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 different places where you live. I, I think every community is going to have some amazing music uh, uh, stories to it because, you know, we, we're a very musical continent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but in terms of of the difference between um, uh, uh, Canadian and uh, and uh, the music culture in the United States, uh, uh, so often Canada. Uh, feels like like their musical culture is is being subsumed by the United States because there's so much musical culture that gets pushed out um, and 
So they're they're kind of protective of the musical styles that are that are unique to 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 the country and and really celebrate them. And in some ways, it, it is kind of a lesson. It was a lesson to me to to say, hey, you know, let let's not always be looking out somewhere else for for something that's going to be thrilling or exciting or or engaging. Let's find the stuff that that's right here. Hmm. Um, and and so that's a, a lot of, of of why I kind of really um, uh, celebrated so much of, of Windsor musical culture when I was working with the orchestra there. But then in, in Canadian musical culture as well, there's some stuff that just doesn't come over the border uh, right. and and which is, you know, really worth your while to seek out. Um, I, I particularly really love the, the the musical scene on the east coast of Canada. Um, uh, they, they call that that area the Maritimes. And and there's all of this um, uh, music and it's kind of a mixture of Scottish, Irish, a little French. Um, uh, uh, they, they, they have these things called kitchen parties and then the kitchen party, you'll have, uh, you know, you'll have a guitar, you'll have maybe uh, some piano and then you have like kitchen implements, <laughs> you know, you'll have spoons and graters and, uh, uh, um, uh, colanders, you know, and, 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 and it's this tradition in the Maritimes that people just sit around in, in their kitchen and, you know, have some people over, drink some beers and just make music together. It's it's a it's a it's an amazing tradition. You know, you kind of touched on something that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. You know, when you talk about the kitchen band, it just reminds me of something that you addressed in the conference this past weekend about how music brings people together, brings communities together. Whether that's kitchen, um, you know, music in your kitchen, <laughs> or whether that's going to a concert. So we'll touch on that in just a minute. Um, so moving on to, you know, you were at Windsor for, I think, 11 years, 12 years. Yeah. Um, and, and half of that, I was going back and forth. We were, um, uh, I was still the associate conductor here. And mm -hmm. then, uh, and so we'd go back. The, the kids were young enough that, that we could go back and forth uh, uh, fairly easily. Uh, and then they got kind of to be the age. And I'd been here for, for, for 10 years going mm -hmm. on 11 uh, as associate conductor. And uh, so we decided that we were just going to like move to Canada. Right. And then in 2011, uh, you were officially announced as the next conductor of the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra. You just celebrated 10 years, JMR's greatest hits this past weekend with the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra. Take me through the last 10 years. What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about the iconic orchestra in the last decade? Well, um, uh, to start off with, you know, it, it's a little... Um, it was a challenge to step into some very, very big shoes. You know, I mean, Eric uh, had been here, well, I mean, since he was the associate conductor, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, kind of created the whole idea of the Pops Orchestra in uh, 77. And then, you know, really ran with it. And, you know, right there at the, in the golden age of, uh, of digital recording and, you know, it, it created the sound that was, you know, sold 10 million recordings around the world and kind of really um, kind of put Cincinnati on the map in, in terms of kind of world music culture. And so, um, yeah, some very big shoes to fill. Uh, and as I was saying before, you know, I, I knew the Eric Kunzel playbook very, very well since uh -huh. I had worked with him for better part of a decade. And uh, so coming back, uh, it was, uh, you know, they always say the first thing you should do when you get a new job you know, spend a couple of years and just rearrange the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of it was just like, well, okay, I can keep on, I, I know these traditions and I know, Eric, you know, uh, how, how things are done in the pops and, and how the community relates to the pops. Um, and so it was, um, uh, it was just a matter of, okay, here, I'm just going to kind of update these things and, and, you know, uh, 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 kind of put some of my own musical ideas, but kind of keep keep that same superstructure that 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 he had built and, and maintained for so many years. Um, and then I would say maybe about five or six years, you know, uh, uh, in, you know, we're 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 moving out of music hall into the Taft for a mm -hmm. couple of years because we're gonna have to move back to music hall, and then we're back to music hall, and then all of a sudden a pandemic hits. And, you know, there are all these other things that, that, that start getting thrown into the mix and you react to those and, and you react to them not, well, actually, you don't try to react to them. What you do is, is, is you, you, you try to use them as touchstones to creativity. 
and uh, to try to find ways to, to take those things that are, that are coming out of you and to create opportunities out of them. Um, and, you know, we had the same thing, you know, uh, when I had started here in 2011, I think CDs were still king. Uh, and within five years, CDs just disappeared Yeah, uh, because uh, uh, everything was streaming um, and, uh, and videos became very popular. And so we've kind of taken all of those things that have been thrown at us and figured out a way that, that we can make something really dynamic and, and great out of it. So, you know, we started our American Soundscape uh, video series um, uh, on YouTube. Uh, you know, we, we, we continue to, to, to make recordings, uh, but we're making more live recordings and more things that are a little bit more visceral and, um, uh, and, and have a sense of immediacy. Uh, and I think the other thing was is, is that uh, I, I really took this idea of celebrating um, uh, uh, musical forms or uh, uh, musical ideas, concepts, composers uh, that have been given short shrift that, uh, that we all kind of know, but we don't really know mm -hmm. the roots of our American musical experience. And that was what created the, um, uh, American originals project. And, you know, we started with the music of Stephen Foster, which is very closely related to, to Cincinnati, uh, music of the middle of the 19th century. And then we went to American originals, 1918 that celebrated the very dawn of the jazz age, much of which was written here. Uh, in Cincinnati. And then um, right before the pandemic, you know, we had this uh, fantastic concert uh, and project uh, about the Cincinnati sound uh, mm -hmm. because of the recording legacy of Herzog Studios downtown, as well as King Records. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's kind of it started out with, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of going page by page by the Eric Kunzel playbook. Um, but then as time has progressed, kind of branched into to, to so many other things that, that I think continue to engage our, 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 our local uh, uh, community, but as well are, are of great interest to people outside. What have been some of your favorite Pops moments of the last 10 years? Wow. Well, i tell you what, uh, 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 my greatest hits just a couple of weeks ago was, was pretty spectacular. Yeah. That was... Uh, it was a great concert. That was a great one. Um, you, you know, I, I think those special projects that I was, I was talking about before, the, the uh, American Originals, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think one, one of the great highlights uh, of the last 10 years uh, has, has been, like I said before, the American Originals uh, projects. Being able to create new uh, orchestral um, uh, orchestrations of so many tunes that I've always loved and, and that, 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 um, that, that I believe are, are an important part of our pops canon. And, and I don't know if a lot of people know about this sort of thing. You know, you, you, you perform a Beethoven symphony and, you know, you just, you walk down the hallway uh, into the library and you say, you know, Christina Eaton, I'm going to perform Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Uh, uh, would you please pull out the music and pass it out and so that we can play it. And then she'll pull out the music from the library and pass it out. Then you sit down and you do Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Piece of cake. Um, uh, but uh, uh, if, if I were to uh, go to Christina Eaton and say, uh, I would like to play um, uh, Dance to the Music of Sly and the Family Stone. And Christina Eaton will say, oh, sorry, we don't have an orchestral chart for that. You know, you're out of luck. And so what you have to do is you have to get, uh, um, you have to engage an arranger who can take that music and create a, an orchestral piece based on Sly and the Family Stone's dance to the music. Uh, and so, so much of what I do in the pops is to create new orchestrations of pieces that people love that fit our orchestra hand and glove and that become part of our legacy. And I think it's been about 500 charts in the last 12 years. Wow. And it's a ridiculous number mm -hmm. of charts. And, and uh, um, uh, my wife gives tours of Music Hall. Uh, Taya Chepkema, Friends of Music Hall. Make sure to sign up <laughs> for your tour today. Anyway, but she always walks by the, the, uh, the, the library in the orchestra. And it, it, it's always fun for her because she gets to hear the, the entire group gasp because you say, look in here, folks. This is the largest orchestral library on earth. Wow. And it's because we've got 
125 years worth of accumulated editions of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you know, all of Beethoven's symphonies, all of Mahler's, you know, all the orchestral music that has ever been written, um, you know, we've got it in many different copies. But then on top of that, we have all of these Pops orchestrations that go back to, to well before the Pops was actually called the Pops. Mm-hmm. And, and those are, are invaluable and we can only perform, we can only perform them here. And so when you listen to a Pops concert, these arrangements that we're performing, you can only hear them here. Yeah. And, you know, we, we record such a small fraction of them. Uh, and that's the importance of, of the live music experience. So, you know, for, for this last concert that, that we just did, JMR's Greatest Hits, we had uh, six uh, brand spanking new arrangements of things that have never been, you know, they're given world premieres, right? Yeah. No one's ever heard them. Uh, and, and they're written exactly for us in our style. Uh, and, and that is like the most important part of our legacy. You know, I love, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, I attended that concert, the JMR's greatest hits on Friday night and <clears throat> excuse me. And my mom and I, we, we had two favorite moments. She loved the Eric Whitaker piece and the way that Eric Whitaker explained that piece of just, you know, taking a paintbrushes and just like making a big swooping painting smearing it yeah exactly (laughs) i mean that was a beautiful piece um and then the welcome home from over the rhine oh Um, yeah man my mom had tears streaming down her face it was so beautiful so so all this weekend right every time you know we rehearsed it a couple of times and then you know performed it three times and every time you know I, i you know i i i couldn't look at karen when she was singing and she couldn't look at me because if, if, if we would catch eyes in the middle of that, you know, it would be it, you know, you know, I'd drop a beat and she'd start sobbing. And it's just, it's so beautiful and eloquent yeah. and, and Linford just captured just the right words. Um, and this great feeling. Yeah. And I think it has now become an, a, an official anthem of our fair city. I would agree with that. It was such a gorgeous piece. And I, as soon as I got home, I downloaded it on my phone. So, because ah. I, you know, it says I just put it in my my music collection. Um, one thing, and this will be the last question, because uh, I want to be respectful of your time. But the pops were so instrumental in helping the Cincinnati arts community come back amid the pandemic. You guys held a streamed performance on Facebook in October of 2020, I believe it was, um, and that concert was a hit. I remember watching it. I. My uh, now wife and I, uh, she was my girlfriend. Then we were actually in Gatlinburg. All right. We were having fun in Gatlinburg. And we, I said, we need to be back in time for the Pops concert because, you know, I miss the Pops. Um, why was it important for you and the Pops to come back at that moment in the pandemic? Actually, we, we came back way before that. It was July 4. Oh. And it was, uh, it was, it was, it was streamed uh, once because uh, um, uh, of, of the way, anyway, these things are licensed and such. Um, and so let's see, a, a little bit of a timeline. We had, um, we went to the Grammys in February. <laughs> when the Grammy, uh, uh, Grammys at the end of January, we had a, a, a concert, I think in, in February doing something. Uh, we had a classical roots. And right after classical roots was the Cincinnati sound. And that was with Paul Schaefer and, mm-hmm. uh, and a bunch of his buddies from the, from late show with uh, David Letterman. Um, and then the following week, everything shut down. Yeah. And so I spent the pr- better part of March, April, May kind of, and, you know, early on it was like, Oh, okay, this will, ah, this is going to be fine. This is going to, you know, couple months, we're going to be done with this. We're going to be back. And so I took the July 4th concert that had already been programmed and, you know, was, was kind of redoing it and say, well, maybe we won't have chorus. So we won't have the chorus on there. We'll just make it instrumental. And then of course, you know, by the time we got into, in, into June, it seemed like super obvious. There was no way we we're going to be coming back, but we started, we were starting to figure out how we could start to play together and do it safely. And some folks at UC had, uh, had started doing some experiments with, um, uh, with breath and uh, air circulation, and and everyone was pretty confident about how we could create. We, we could play in music hall, socially distanced, 
with the right type of screens and all the rest and have cameras and, and to broadcast something. And so we just kind of completely threw out everything that we're going to do for, um, uh, for our traditional July 4 and rejigged the whole thing. Nice. And in fact, over the Rhine sang with us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had a um, uh, Melinda Doolittle uh, sang with us as well. And we created this whole show. And I, we were, I think this was, if not the, but one of only a small handful of orchestras that had done anything like it. And we were completely just kind of, we, we were like, we were, we were, we, we were like, we were building the airplane while we were going down the runway. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, um, and so that broadcast kind of emboldened us because we did it and it, it went over just extraordinarily well. Uh, and it, you know, and then we figured, okay, let's in, we're going to invest in cameras and camera operators and lighting and directors, and we're going to retool ourselves because we're going to be in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And so that concert that you were referring to, uh, um, the one in, um, October, uh, October. 2020. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, that, that is the one that happened because we had done all of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. all summer long trying to figure out how, how to do those things. And that one, you know, was, was a celebration of jazz, right? It was, it was mm-hmm. all about American music and, you know, can do spirit, uh, and about jazz. And, uh, uh, let's see, we, we, we had the, the, the Rhapsody in blue with uh, yep. Aaron, uh, Aaron Deal on piano. Um, fantastic sax player was joining us. Wonderful singer and great arrangements for the orchestra, all of which were very, very small and, and, and intimate. And uh, it told this great story about, you know, how, how, how Americans deal with things, right? You know, we do it with their head held high and we're, we're, we're going to get her done. I just think with that concert was a perfect concert for that moment in time. You know, I think by October, I think we were all just kind of over it (laughs) we wanted something to do we wanted to go out and go to a pops concert or listen to pops we were ready to go back to our sporting events we were ready to just you know do things again and you know i think that was a moment in time where the cincinnati arts community was still pretty much shut down even in october oh my goodness Um, theaters weren't weren't playing anything um i just think that concert was what cincinnati needed at that moment it was, a, it was a great shot in the arm. And for all of us in the creative community, you know, here we are, I'm, you know, all sitting at home, um, you know, just like itching to do something positive because, you know, here's the world crumbling around us. And, you know, I play the violin, you know, or, you know, wh- wh- how am I really helping? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the fact is it, it gave us something positive to do. Uh, that we could say, yes, you know, this is this is the role of the musician in 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 times of trial uh, is to give hope and to give spirit and uh, uh, to give a sense of of, of reflection and community. Uh, and so for all of us, it really felt fantastic to be able to to give back. And it kind of ties into what you were talking about in the concerts this past weekend about the effect of music on our lives, how communal it is. It brings people together. Yeah. And, you know, that can go for your first Pops concerts with people back in Music Hall. That had to have been such an emotional experience. And can you just talk a little bit about, I apologize, this is the last question. <laughs> um, what music means to you in the, in the sense of community and bringing people together? Well, uh, um, uh, I, I, I'd said this on, uh, on the Friday night concert. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, familiar story that I, that I like to share with people. Uh, and you know, oftentimes you're sitting on the airplane or whatever, and someone sees you studying a score and they'll say, you know, Oh, uh, so you're a conductor. Oh yes. And, th- and one of the questions that always comes out, it's, it's, it's always interesting to me is someone says, Oh, you know, I've always wondered what's the difference between a philharmonic orchestra and a symphony orchestra. And the thing is, they're just the same. It's an orchestra. It's just a schmancy name. You know, a symphony orchestra plays symphonies. Um, A philharmonic orchestra, uh, the word philharmonic comes from philos, the Greek for love and harmonic harmony, love of harmony. And so you can say, oh, we're an orchestra that loves harmony. Of course, we love harmony because if we're not playing in harmony, we sound bad. Uh, and so we're all on stage. We are lovers of harmony. 
but I, I think when we use the term, it, it goes beyond that. It's, it's, it's also just being in the space, being in the, in the concert hall together, that it's the harmony that's created through music between the players on stage and the audience members, that we all become, that we're all under the same roof uh, and that we are sharing in this, in this harmonic experience. Uh, and then I like to think of this as taking it to the next level, is the harmony that we carry with us through that musical experience when we walk out the door and that we're in our day-to-day -day lives and we're, we're interacting with our friends or neighbors or the grocery clerk um, or, or you know, the uh, people across town or anyone who, who, who you see, that you are sharing this, this harmony from that experience with all of them, that feeling of goodness, of brotherhood and sisterhood um, that, 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 that stays with us all as musicians and audience members. And that, that's the importance of, of, of music in our society, that it brings us together. It makes us all brothers and sisters in harmony. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Uh, JMR, thank you. Thank you so much for finally coming on the podcast. You know, I'm, I, I reached out to you in August. I'm glad we finally found time where both of our schedules just kind of matched. Um, it really is an honor to have you on. Right on. Thanks so much, Clayton. It's it's a great pleasure. And, um, uh, you know, well, let, let's do it again sometime. <laughs> it sounds good. Um, okay. We can find the Cincinnati Pops. They just announced their latest uh, season, the 2022-2023 season. You can find that online. I believe it is CincinnatiPops.org or Pops.org. There you go, CincinnatiPops.org. Yep. Sounds and, good. Uh, and uh, lots of great co concerts coming on the summer, of course, July 4, uh, on July 4. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and also uh, the Symphony of the Pops are going to be performing all sorts of community concerts throughout the region, uh, including uh, Westwood, uh, uh, Price Hill, Bond Hill. Uh, we're going to be out in Liberty Township. Uh, uh, we're going to be all over this city uh, this summer. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm putting together the concerts right now, and it, it's uh, we're going to keep the party rolling, let's say that. <laughs> Sounds good. I know my brother and I are excited. I think you guys are doing... Uh, the Force Awakens uh, next ah, season. There so we go. We're excited for that. So, JMR, thank you so much, and we will be right back. Cheers. Welcome back to the Clayton Castle podcast. I really want to thank John Morris Russell for coming onto the podcast. You know, I've been a big Pops fan since I was a kid, really. And then growing up at Music Hall with the May Festival Youth Chorus, the Walnut Hills Senior Ensemble, um, I really felt like I got to know John through that process. And I actually conducted an interview with him 12 years ago when I was at the Chatterbox at Walnut Hills High School and was the fine arts editor. And it's just really fun to see that come full circle and interview him um, as a host of this podcast. And so I'm really thankful that John was able to take time out of his day and talk to me about his early conducting days, his early music days, and what it really means to bring music to this community and what that community means uh, for us amid this COVID-19 pandemic. So again, I thank John Morris Russell for coming on. This is a one-off episode between two seasons. Um, I'm hoping to come back with more episodes here in the summer in the next few weeks after things slow down at work. I hope to bring you more stories, more awesome conversation. And again, I just want to thank you for listening through all these episodes. I think we're almost at 25 episodes of this podcast through the past year or so. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on the Clean Castle Podcast on Facebook. Hit like or subscribe or whatever it is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thank you again, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>